Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Inside Indy Sports Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football, recruiting, and more for InsideIndySports.com on the Rivals Network. We'd like to start today by welcoming Dead Soxy to the InsideIndySports.com family. Dead Soxy is the new presenting sponsor for the Inside Indy Sports Podcast. Eric and I have been wearing Dead Soxy for months now. We will not wear another dress sock. Why? Well, to completely understand, you have to try them yourself. Sometimes I forget I'm wearing socks when I have them on. Uh, They're a premium sock made from bamboo. They stay up. They don't tear. They stay cool even on the hottest days, even when you're on your feet all day. They stay soft. They're simply phenomenal. Check out Dead Soxy at tiny.one forward slash inside ND. That's T-I-N-Y period O-N-E forward slash inside ND to look at all their offerings from no-shows and casuals to traditional dress socks. Enter code LUCKY, L-U-C-K-Y, at checkout and get 25% off your order. We really appreciate Dead Soxy for stepping up to sponsor our podcast. Sponsors help us provide you the very best content on all of our platforms. Hopefully, you'll share that appreciation by trying Dead Soxy. There's no risk. I bet you'll love the product and want more. I know I did. It's finally game week on Saturday night. Number five, Notre Dame will test itself at number two, Ohio State. And Marcus Freeman will finally stop getting asked what it will mean for him to coach against his alma mater. That's not uh, our style on the Inside Indy Sports podcast. Instead, we've opted to ask someone who knows Freeman well questions about the former Ohio State linebacker and his coaching career. We're thrilled to be welcomed by former Ohio State head coach and current Youngstown State President Jim Tressel. Jim, thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks so much. Good to be with you. Jim, what, what has it been like to, to watch Marcus Freeman's rise through the coaching ranks? You know, it's been a lot of fun just watching him grow as a person, uh, meeting him as a sophomore, I think, in high school and watching him progress at Ohio State and and uh, handle adversity. You know, he was banged up occasionally and and uh, he had great competition in his linebacker room. Uh, he had a lot of folks that that uh, he competed with and he he did it, you know, humbly and, and, and ferociously. Um, and then uh, when he entered the coaching business, you could tell uh, that he was going to attack that the same way he did playing and, and uh, being a teammate and so forth. And, and then he got connected with Luke Fickle very closely, his position coach. And when Daryl Hazel headed over to Kent, uh, Daryl, there's no question he was going to take uh, Marcus if Marcus would go and then on to Purdue. And, and then Luke and Marcus kind of got back together there at Cincinnati and, and uh, he was doing great things. Uh, Luke's program and, and Marcus was a big part of it, uh, did some extraordinary things. And uh, having the opportunity to go with Brian there at Notre Dame was a, another tremendous opportunity. And, and uh, timing is important. And the timing was right, uh, you know, for Marcus to have this wonderful opportunity. And, and he'll work at it every day. And like any player or any coach, every play is not going to be perfect. Every season's not going to be magical. Uh, but if you learn from all of those, which he will, that, that was what he was like as a player. He learned from everything he did. He was all ears. He was constantly wanting to know more. Very, very curious person. Uh, he'll be the same as a coach. And, and, and the best part about it is uh, you, the more you're around him, you'll see that his devotion and his genuine concern for his students uh, is real. Coach, before I ask you my first question, I wanted to find out, are you going to be at the game? You know, I, I will, which, you know, I, I hate being at games like that. You know, I've got Brian Hartline over on one sideline. I've got my former team over there. I got Marcus. I got James Laurinaitis. I'm like, oh, this is killing me. And <laughs> I would have probably uh, handled it better if I was hiding, uh, you know, in my den watching it uh, on TV and I could turn it off when I wanted. But uh, we're blessed that our 2002 uh, national championship team uh, is being recognized for their 20th anniversary. And we're going to see about 70 of the guys I understand that will be back. And, and uh, so that'll, that'll be a lot of fun. And, and uh, uh, this will be one of those games though, that, um, you know, I, obviously I want Marcus to do well and, and James to have a good first game as a coach, but on the other hand, you know, I'm a Buckeye through and through, and 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 so <clears throat> it'll be difficult. Uh, but uh, I'm thrilled, really, for uh, Marcus and 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 James uh, to have a chance to be at a place like Notre Dame, 
they've got a tremendous challenge. The Bucks are really good. I've, I've got tremendously high regard for Ryan and his staff. And and uh, but yeah, to answer your question, I'll, I'll be at the game and uh, it'll be fun. Um, you know, just kind of looking over your background, I know you were a quarterback at Baldwin Wallace and you were an offensive assistant until you got the Youngstown State job. You know, Marcus has been on defense this whole time. So when you got the Youngstown State job, how was your integration process in terms of having your hands in the defense, learning more about defenses? I mean, obviously, as a quarterback, you knew a lot, but how did that process work for you? Because Marcus is really given his offensive coordinator a lot of autonomy. Yeah, I think that's always an interesting study. I know, excuse me, as an assistant coach, I worked for two head coaches that were offensive guys and two that were defensive guys. And, you know, there's a different dynamic. And and I think uh, I tried to observe in both their cases how they did a good job working with all of us. both staff and players. Uh, and, and the thing that ties it all together are the special teams. And so I always felt like uh, if I could be really engaged in the special teams, it would give me a lot of interaction with players on both sides of the ball when I was a head coach. Uh, in fact, earlier this summer, uh, Marcus and I and, and Jim Caldwell were on a Zoom call and we were talking about various things and, and uh, uh, Jim had worked for Tony Dungy, you know, who was a defensive guy. And then when Jim became the head coach of the Colts, he was an offensive guy. And, and there are different dynamics. I think you have to go out of your way to make sure that that other side of the ball, whatever other side happens to be, uh, clearly knows uh, how much you believe in them, how much you uh, really know the, their importance to the whole and that's really the same thing with your players. You know, so often on teams, you can get the offensive guys all caught up in their stats and this and that and defensive guys theirs. And, and uh, hopefully they spend a lot of time together on the special teams. Uh, but, uh, you know, that, that's always something that I think, not just for your coaches, but for your players, if you appreciate what the other person does, um, I used to always like to say that individually we're insignificant without every other person. And that's on a football team, in a society, uh, any organization. And uh, so it will be a learning curve for Marcus, you know, just like it was a learning curve for me. Uh, I did believe in, in that autonomy for the other side of the ball. I would go in and, and visit with the defensive coaches a little bit, but uh, not as, as some visiting expert, but, you know, as someone that, you know, wants to, to, uh, to learn a little bit. Plus I can talk to them a little bit about, Hey, so-and-so Wisconsin's doing this and this has given us a lot of problems, you know, and, and uh, you know, have you ever thought about this or uh, that type of thing? But uh, Marcus, because of the thoughtfulness of the kind of person he is, and it doesn't mean he's not uh, tough and it doesn't mean he's not decisive, um, but his thoughtfulness, his, uh, his ability to listen, his ability to learn over the long haul, he'll figure it out. And then as your coaching staffs change, you know, uh, guys get head coaching jobs, they go to the NFL, you know, whatever it happens to be, there's a whole new uh, relationship building time. Uh, But for the moment, he's got to find his rhythm with, uh, who is it, Tommy, uh, that's the offensive coordinator. And and, uh, the rest of the staff has got to feel their rhythm with Marcus. And it takes time. And, and that's why as much hype and excitement and so forth about this game, um, you know, no matter what happens in this game at noon, the next day, they're going to be figuring out how they can get better. And, uh, and it's the long haul that counts. Jim Marcus shared before the festival that he was leaning on you for some guidance. And I'm sure that has continued in what ways have you been able to help him handle the transition of being a first time head coach? You know, what's good about Marcus is he doesn't pretend that he uh, has the magic plan. Uh, he has many ideas and he likes to bounce them off, starting with his staff. I know he likes to talk with his staff and say, hey, you know, what do you think about this? And how do you think we should do that? And, and he was a grad assistant for us. And, and he knew 
that in all of our staff meetings, I would always kind of end the discussion, no matter what the topic was, with the grad assistants. And I would say, hey, you guys are a lot closer, you know, to the locker room in terms of having been there than we are. How do you react to this? And so I know he spends a lot of time uh, getting input. Uh, he bounces things off me. You know, he knows I'm an X and O dinosaur, so he's not going to he's not going <laughs> to worry about X's and O's, but just some of those administrative things. And I'm thinking about doing this or how did you do that? And and not that he would always say, OK, well, that's the way you did it. I'm going to do it that way. He just uses it as a kind of a reflection uh, as he's evaluating how he would like to go about things. Jim, uh, you've had lots of great assistants over the years, and and yet on any staff, not every assistant turns out to be a great head coach, even if they're a great assistant. When you, maybe somebody's asking you your opinion about different assistants, how do you spot greatness? How do you spot somebody that would be a, a great future head coach, not just a great part of your staff? You know, I think the success of a head coach has a lot to do with where they're doing it and are they the right fit? And, you know, is so when people call me and ask me about uh, their head coaching search or, or, or whatever, or their presidency search, I mean, it doesn't matter. Uh, it might, I always respond with, well, have you really clearly thought out what it is you think you need right now? Because you're there, I'm not. I've been a lot of places. This is my 48th year in higher ed. So I've seen a lot of different things, but I'm not in your room. I'm not in, on your campus. And so a lot of it has to do with how is the fit. And so being selective, that was the thing that I talked to my assistant coaches all the time is you don't want to just go be a head coach. You want to go be a head coach where the fit is right. Uh, that you have the right qualities that they need at this moment. And then you can keep developing your qualities and change as their needs change. Uh, and so really I've had a lot of guys go and get head coaching opportunities. Some of them, I wasn't sure that it was the right place for them. Hmm. Uh, and we've had discussions back and forth others that uh, there was no question that, you know, you have, the qualities that they're looking for, because I spoke with their people and this is what they're looking for and that type of thing. And so I thought the timing was good. Obviously history will define this, but I thought the timing uh, and the fit for Marcus at Notre Dame was, was good. In fact, as it was playing out, I thought, you know what? I, I, think, I think this might be, sometimes you have to be lucky with timing and, uh, uh, I think this just might be a, a good fit. Now, Marcus has to go and, and prove that that's true. Jim, there's, there's been a pretty good, decent trend in college football, first-time head coaches having success at major programs. We look at Dabo Sweeney, Lincoln Riley, Ryan Day, Kirby Smart. Why, why Do you think there's a reason why that connects all those guys and why maybe this era of college football maybe allows for that? Yeah, you know, I'm not exactly sure why, because I can tell you I was a first time head coach twice and I was two and nine and seven and five. So, um, hmm. you know, it, it didn't that wasn't the case in my world. Um, but, you know, I'm not sure I know the answer to that. I, I think maybe the time was right. Uh, the the talent was uh, very capable and. Uh, and, you know, it was just the right time for change for the, for the kids. Sometimes there, there's a right time for change. That's why, you know, we all can't coach a hundred years. You know, there's a, there's a time where you're not the best person uh, for the job when maybe for 10 years you were. And so uh, I'm not exactly sure why some of the, you know, first time head coaches uh, uh, and, and many of them, I think might've been assistants where they were. So they did have a little bit more uh, understanding when I came to Youngstown State or when I went to Ohio State, you know, I didn't know any of those kids. And, and it takes a little bit of time to develop trust and relationships. And so maybe the answer to your question is because there was some trust there to begin with. Jim, uh, 
you had been at Ohio State before uh, you were the head coach there, but I'm I'm wondering when you became first year head coach, what did you learn? I guess from your previous experience there about handling all the white noise outside of you. How did you did you keep your antenna down? Did you listen to any of it? I mean, what was what was that experience like? Because I know that fan base, having been an Ohio State graduate, and they're not quiet about their opinions. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think probably the two advantages that I had was one, I'd been an assistant there for three years, grew up in the state. You know, I knew, you know, I, I knew the importance, you know, to every single person. And I think the other thing was uh, spending all that time at Youngstown State, uh, still being in Ohio, still being aware of, of uh, the white noise of Ohio State, but also, uh, you know, we had it to the point here where if we weren't winning the national championship, it was a bad year. And, and there, that, there's a lot of white noise, you know, with <laughs> that because it's not easy to win national championships. So, uh, you know, it, it uh, sometimes having experience is good. Uh, I think Marcus having played at a place like Ohio State and coached there, uh, I think he has a little bit more understanding than maybe a person who has never been in a Notre Dame, Ohio State, Southern Cal type uh, situation. So no, it doesn't mean that it'll be magical or easy or any of those types of things. But uh, I think he won't be surprised. And, and I wasn't surprised at Ohio State. And I think that's important. Jim, your your first road game as Ohio State's head coach is a pretty significant one against a, a number 14 UCLA team. I'm, I'm sure that atmosphere in the Rose Bowl won't necessarily match what Marcus Freeman and Notre Dame will be walking into Saturday night. But what are the challenges of your first road game being such a big time game and being against such a talented team? Yeah, our game against UCLA, not only was it uh, uh, against a good team and away from home and all the rest, but it was the first game you played after 9-11. And so, you know, the the trepidation about getting on an airplane and going across the country and no one had ever been there. And, and so it, it was interesting. Um, you know, it's tougher to win on the road. I mean, there's no question about it because you're so used to, you spent so many hours in your own buildings, in your own stadium. Uh, you have a little bit of, uh, you have a little bit of, I guess, comfort, but on the other hand, uh, when you play one of these type games at home and there's so much hype around it and so many people bugging you for tickets and <laughs> this and that, uh, some of the white noise is a little bit less when you're on the road. Uh, so I think when the game starts, it, it's really not, you know, that big of a difference. Uh, you know, what you do out there and, and how you adjust in the, in the course of the game. And, and uh, you know, so it's, I think, Marcus will be nervous as can be going back home, all those things. But you know what, when the game starts, it'll be, I tell people all the time, my dad coached division three, I coached division two, then one double a and Ohio state and all that. Your back is facing all the noise. Your eyes are facing the same size field, no matter what level you're coaching on and, and same number of players and, and uh, same adjustments and so forth. So, uh, once the game gets started, uh, the preparation takes over. Uh, the talent uh, and how the talent has developed together will take over. But, uh, you know, he's had an interesting beginning to his career. He had about two weeks to get ready for a bowl game. <laughs> you know, and, and then he, he wakes up and spends 24 hours a day recruiting and whatnot. And and then hours and hours and hours getting to know the whole team. You know, he knew some of the defensive guys, but, you know, he didn't know, know all the other guys as well. And, and then, you know, next step is I go on the road to play against a team that maybe is, you know, the most talented team in the country, who knows? So, uh, but again, you learn the most through your toughest challenges. And this will be a great uh, learning moment uh, for Marcus, his staff, uh, his team, and really it's the long haul that counts. And, and uh, he's a good learner. And so this, this, this will be fun at times. It maybe won't be fun at times, but there'll be a lot of good learning. Jim, uh, we had a chance to sit down with James Laurinaitis, who's 
technically a grad assistant for Notre Dame, but is so much more in the grand scheme of their things. Um, you know, really no coaching experience, but impressive, impressive guy. I wonder if you've had much of a connection with him during his early months as a college coach and just your thoughts on how James will do in the coaching business. Well, I had a lot of discussions with him leading up to that, you know, just these last couple of years, as many guys that have long NFL careers, sorting out what the thing is that could be the next passion that could be, you know, as much fun and fulfilling and, and so forth. And so I had a lot of discussion with them leading up to it. Um, I've had a little discussion with him. In fact, one time I was on a zoom with Marcus and he popped his head in the screen, you know, and we talked for a minute and so forth. But, uh, you know, James is a, a quality human being. And so that will help the staff from that standpoint, for sure. He's a, a eager learner, obviously, you know, he played the game, uh, at a high level and, and maybe wasn't the most talented guy, uh, on the field. I very talented, but, uh, cerebral player, uh, coached young guys while he was playing a, a lot like Marcus. Uh, and so, uh, I'm sure this will be a thrill for him. You know, he'll be just like Marcus that, butterflies and he'll look around and he'll have flashbacks and this and that. But when the first crack of the pads happens, you know, it'll be, it'll be just fine. And, and uh, th this is an exciting time for Marcus, no doubt, but this is an exciting time for James because this is a new chapter for him too. And, uh, and, and I think he's really excited. Jim, we have one more question for you. I, I'm just curious, what, what are your thoughts on, on what Ryan Day's done with Ohio State's program since taking over for Urban Meyer? You know, I, I've been really impressed. I was just with Ryan last weekend, and, and uh, uh, I've just been really impressed. He's a young guy that carries himself with a lot of humility, uh, has really high expectations. Um, the kids, you know, really enjoy playing for him. Uh, you know, he, he's, done a, he's done a whale of a job, and uh, – you know, I, I feel for all those guys, whether it's Marcus or Ryan or any of them, because this is a different time. Uh, this is unknown charted waters that we're in now in, in intercollegiate athletics. And, and uh, you know, so th they've got some challenges I never even dreamed about. And, and uh, I, I've been really uh, impressed uh, with both Marcus and Ryan in the way that they've uh, at least outwardly, calmly, <laughs> uh, handled all that type of thing. I don't know what's going on in inwardly, you know how that is, but, uh, uh, but Ryan's done a great job. He's, he does a great job recruiting. Um, you know, it, we've been real proud of the way that the program over the last 20 years has, has really grown and grown in our facilities and, and the quality and the expectations and the excitement around it. And, and so, uh, like I said, oh, three or four years ago, uh, I thought when Urban went in there, he took it to the next level. And I think what Ryan's doing, he took it to the next level, which is, you know, that's why you build foundations so that they can be really strong and get better as they go. And, and uh, you know, Ryan's done a great job taking that next step. Well, Jim, we really appreciate you taking time to talk to us and uh, hope you get a you're able to find a way to enjoy the, the tugging on your heartstrings uh, at, at the game on Saturday. Well, we'll be there with our 2002 team being recognized. So I'm going to be tugging on their heartstrings and reminiscing with them more. And that way I, I can keep out that white noise you talked about, <laughs> about uh, what's going to actually be going on. But it'll be fun. And, and then it'll be 12 noon the next day. And everyone will be learning from the day and reminiscing on it and getting ready for the next one. A reminder, the Inside ND Sports Podcast is presented by Dead Soxy, maker of the best dressed socks you'll ever wear. How do I know this? The day the socks arrived at my house, my two adult sons happened to be visiting. They each grabbed a few pairs, which they claim to be borrowing, but they've since annexed them and rave about them. They're all different styles from the no-shows and the casuals to the traditional dress socks, and there's a lot of cool colors and designs. Try them yourself and you'll discover the difference a premium sock made from bamboo, can make. As Tyler mentioned, they stay up, they don't tear, they stay cool even on the hottest days. We've got one of those coming up Saturday in Columbus. 
And even when you're on your feet all day, another thing we'll be doing in Columbus some of the time, they stay soft and it's been my experience. They don't abandon each other in the dryer. Check out dead Soxy at tiny dot one slash inside ND that's T I N Y dot O N E forward slash inside N D and enter uh, the promo code lucky L U C K Y at checkout and get 25% off your order. All right. Now it's time for questions. Our question segment is powered by acre pro Midwest farm group. When it comes to land sales, it pays to have experts in your corner. Acre Pro Midwest Farm Group are your local farmland specialists. With decades of experience in Indiana agriculture, no one knows the market better. Whether you're doing a 1031 exchange or simply buying and selling farmland, your local Acre Pro agent will walk the land with you and ensure the deal is done right. Visit AcrePro.com or call 765-587-3185 and talk to your local land expert today. Again, 765-587-3185. You can submit questions to us on Twitter or the Insider Lounge message board before every podcast. I'm at TJamesND and Eric's at EHansonND. First question I have for us, Eric, is from at DrewBrennan77. Who do you expect to play better on Saturday night, Notre Dame's offensive line or Notre Dame's defensive line? And which group needs to play better in order for Notre Dame to win? Well, I, I'm going to go with the defensive line. They have more margin for error because they have more people they're more battle tested and they don't have uh preseason all-american questionable and not practicing for you know the past couple weeks i think the offensive line is going to be one of the most improved units in the country but for me it's going to be the defensive line which one has to play better i think notre dame's defensive line has to play better Ohio State's offense still is much better than its defense. And so for for Notre Dame to have a path to victory, I, I think both units have to play well. <laughs> right. But but if you're going to pin me down to one, I would say the defensive line. Yeah, I, I'm in agreement that I think the defensive line will play better. Um, there's more depth. I think they will use more looks to try to confuse Ohio State and um not exactly certain of Jarrett Patterson's status, whether or not he's playing or if he's playing, he'll, he would be limited in some fashion because I mean, he just hasn't been able to practice. And um, he was on a, he was in essentially a cast less than two weeks ago. Uh, so he's uh, um, it would be quite the turnaround for him to be back and playing at full strength in terms of who needs to play better. I, I think, I don't know. It's tough. I, it's tough. I mean, this game, it's really hard to figure out, okay, what's the formula for Notre Dame to win? I, I, I would go with the offensive line because I think Notre Dame's going to have to outscore Ohio State. And if and if it's not a shootout, Notre Dame needs to control the game with its offense to limit Ohio State's offense. I'm just not sure how much Notre Dame's defense on itself by itself can sort of uh, limit Ohio State to the point where Notre Dame can win the game with the offense not having to play really, really well. So – I'm going to go with the offensive line, although I, I think it's a understandable argument in either direction. And, and like you said, both of those lines are going to have to play really well for Notre Dame to win that win the game. Next question is from Rockney93 on the Insider Lounge. What do you think will be the mix of run versus pass plays Notre Dame will use this week on offense? Also, how many wide receivers and running backs do you see getting in the game? It feels like Freeman is more willing to trust freshmen playing than Kelly ever did. Well, let me start with the second part of that. Um, I would say three running backs. I would expect it to be Chris Tyree, Audrick Estime, and Logan Diggs. Mm -hmm. You know, they may get Jabron Payne on the field, it, probably more likely in special teams somehow. Wide receivers, I went with five. It could be six. You know, the, the three starters and um, and then maybe Joe Wilkins and either Tobias or Colsey or Salerno. I, I don't think you'll see all of those guys. I don't think you'll see Xavier Watts catching passes. Um, and I do think that not only is Marcus more willing to get, and, and this isn't a criticize, criticism necessarily of Brian Kelly. His thought was, we don't want to count on freshmen. And he built a team to kind of reflect that. I think maybe the blind spot there was, there were some freshmen that could have given the opportunity, been ready and maybe better than the people in front of them. 
And I think that's what Marcus has done. He's provided opportunity for the freshmen to prove themselves, and, and quite a few of them have. Uh, getting back to the mix, I mean, I, I don't know that I could put percentages on it, but I, I think the what Marcus is going to strive for is a balanced attack, and his philosophy is the better you are at running the ball, the better your passing attack is going to be because mm -hmm. it keeps the defensive coordinator kind of on and the defense on its heels. It also opens up lanes for, for the passing game. If you, if there's always the threat that you can run it at when you want to and run it effectively. So that's my best answer. I'll let Tyler do the math and put percentages on it. Yeah. I mean, for, I think we probably agree that Marcus Freeman has some learning to do in terms of like offensive strategy. And I don't think he's going to be making a lot of those decisions, but I think from a former defensive coordinator standpoint, he understands how important the running game is and how hard it is at, from a defensive standpoint to stop an opposing offense. If you're giving up uh, yards on the ground. Um, so, yeah, I think they're going to try to establish a run. I think Tommy Reese is fully on board with that as well. Um, I, the percentages I picked were 55% run and 45% pass. Um, I think Notre Dame would like that to be even higher towards the run if possible, but I'm anticipating, um, Notre Dame maybe having a play from behind at some point, uh, on Saturday night. So, um, you can't necessarily keep running the ball when that, when that's the case in terms of how many wide receivers and running backs do I see getting in the game? I went with seven receivers. I know that's a lot. I, I, I wouldn't, I, I was leaning towards six. But I guess I couldn't really make a decision on whether or not De or who would play between Deion Colsey and Tobias Merriweather. So I'm I'm just gonna say they'll both play. I do think Matt Salerno will play. Xavier Watts is sort of the odd man out in my opinion, um, in terms of guys that we think can play for Notre Dame on Saturday. Um, and then running backs, I'm in agreement with three. I don't know that they'll use Jabron Payne unless they're sort of forced to, um, at least in the running game. I, I I I was or on offense. I was sort of thinking about this strictly as using these players on offense, not whether or not they'll play special teams. Cause I, I would imagine Xavier Watts plays some special teams. Um, so that's my answer for that in terms of the willing to play freshman. I'm not, I mean, I think it's a, a bit of an assumption first. Uh, we don't know. He hasn't actually done it yet. <laughs> um, but it's also kind of a strange comment. Cause I mean, there was only three freshmen on the offensive and defensive depth charts that was, that was published on, on Monday. So it's not like they're loaded with freshmen, that are going to play right away. I think, I think there, I think we will see guys, but I also think that's it's, it's in part because of a need for those players as much as it is Freeman's willingness to do that. So I don't know that it's vastly different than in, in Marcus Freeman's willingness. I think he came into this season wanting to get those guys in a position, maybe better than Brian Kelly came and, and sort of came into that from the outset of camp. Like we need to get freshmen ready to play. Whereas Brian Kelly maybe wasn't as concerned about getting those guys ready to play more just like acclimating them and letting them um, sort of fit in and then figuring out if they could play later. Next question is from at Irish Disney 33. Do you think that Tyler Buckner will have much of an opportunity to run the ball against Ohio state at all? Or is the ability to do so only predicated on passing the ball in an effective manner to open up the run game for him? You know, I think, there's going to be fewer designed runs for Buckner than maybe if uh, there was um, may, maybe if he had a longer history of staying healthy. And I think if Drew Pine expressed the same skill set as Buckner, I think they have confidence in Drew Pine. But he, here's the thing. You cannot turn Tyler Buckner into a pure pocket passer and get the same result as you do when he runs all over the place and makes things happen. Um, I was just on a conference call with Kirk Kerbstreet a little bit ago from ABC and ESPN, and he's going to be doing the game Saturday night in Columbus. And he, he kind of said the same thing, the magic in, Buckner is what he can do when he gets outside the pocket and you have to let him be that uh, or he's not going to be as effective when even in the the abbreviated practice windows we've had they have a drill where the quarterbacks line up in the red zone and they th try to throw precision passes to a stationary receiver both from just a clean pocket or the imitating a clean pocket 
and then also when they're moving around. And when it's a clean pocket, Buckner is the best. Angeli is the second best. When they're moving around, Buckner is the best, and there's nobody close. Everybody else's balls kind of sail or are not quite, you know, on on target where the receiver either has to move or reach or something like that. Buckner's pretty good. And so, um, you know, I think he's going to get his rushing yards because especially, again, being a young quarterback, there's going to be times maybe he doesn't um, extend the play to throw the pass. Maybe he just tucks it and runs because he knows how good he is at that. So I would expect, you know, him to maybe have double-digit carries based on that part of his game. Yeah, there would certainly be plenty of scrambling opportunities for him, and I would imagine he would try to take advantage of some of those, especially as a younger quarterback and not necessarily scramble or like maneuver himself to stay in the pocket. He'll get out and he'll he'll go because he knows he can run. Uh, but I do think Notre Dame is going to create opportunities for him to run as well, and and that won't necessarily be be predicated on Notre Dame's ability to pass the ball. I think the zone read will be a part of the game plan. Um, I'm sure that there will be some design quarterback runs as well. Um, they, they they have to use his legs. I know you want to keep him healthy, but you want to beat Ohio State as well. And I don't know that Tyler Buckner gives you the best chance to beat Ohio State if you're not using his legs. Um, so I don't know how successful Notre Dame will be in being able to do that, but it certainly um, would help if Notre Dame – or if oh, he can loosen up the defense with some throws, but um, they're going to have to incorporate him in the running game. And then obviously – like you mentioned, some of those scrambling opportunities, I would imagine he'll take um, advantage of those as well. Next question is from Marie Biafore at Biafore underscore Marie. Will the following players see the field on Saturday night? Tobias Merriweather, Holden Stays, Benjamin Morrison, Jaden Mickey, Xavier Watts, and Eli, Eli Raridan. Okay, and again, kind of with the same rules we had with the earlier question, we're not counting them on special teams. We're counting on them playing their positions at least that's the way i'm going to answer the question sure so in the um in the likely category i'm putting mickey and morrison mm -hmm. in large part because marcus freeman said that would happen right so i'm going to believe him uh that those two will get on the field and i think they'll have to i mean i think they're going to have to play five or six cornerbacks to keep up with um ohio state's offense um in the kind of the more maybe category, I would put Raritan and Merriweather. The reason I would put Eli in the maybe category is because Davis Sherwood has been getting a lot of love as the third tight end. Now, Eli Reardon has a different skill set. I still think we we could see him play, uh, but but I think David, Davis Sherwood has become a priority uh, to go with Kevin Bauman and Michael Mayer. And Tobias Merriweather, at least he's been healthy and he's been impressive. You know, I would say in some ways he's ahead of Deion Colsey just because of Deion Colsey's knee injury that that took away some of his practices. I'd say the least likely out of that group in a, um, you know, offensive role would be Holden Stays and Xavier Watts. Holden Stays has been terrific. He's been one of the more surprising players for me in terms of what he's been able to do. But I think there are other people that are kind of prioritized. I think this is maybe more of a, a, the, a Marshall game opportunity for him rather than Ohio state and Watts. I think, you know, he's, he's not a priority priority on either side of the ball. He's right now, he's a safety net for, for two positions. Eventually he'll get good enough at one of them that he'll get on the field. I'm in agreement with Watts, sort of as we indicated with the previous question. I'm not as sure that Holden Stays won't play. I I've been very impressed with him. I think he's more yeah. well more well rounded than Eli Raritan right now. He's just a bigger, more physical tight end. Um, and the question is, well, do you need that because of the guys that you have ahead of him on the depth chart? Whereas Eli Raritan is someone that maybe you more comfortable splitting him out and doing some different things to sort of relieve your wide receiver unit. Um, whereas Holden stays, I think you sort of plug in and just play him like you'd play any other tight end. Um, so I don't exactly know how that's going to play out. Um, so I I was actually leaning the other way is that stays would be maybe more likely to play than Raritan. 
Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if all those other players besides Xavier Watts played on, on offense. Um, and then I'm in agreement with, with Benjamin Morrison and Jaden Mickey playing on defense that they, they don't want, they can't afford to have their top line cornerbacks running around the field all game long, trying to tra- chase down those guys. Um, and the confidence is high in those freshmen and they have earned that confidence. I mean, just from the stuff we've seen, it's like, man, those guys, those guys look good. They, they passed up those sophomores that were ahead of them and, uh, they, they've really taken advantage of their opportunity. Next question is from SJB75 on the Insider Lounge. If Notre Dame plays t- turnover-free football, can the defense hold Ohio State to 31 points or less? Not with that being the only check mark on the checklist. Uh, I think you have to turn Ohio State over. Uh, I think a lot of it's going to depend on how Notre Dame is able to run the ball, if, if they can hold it and keep play keep away with their offense, and also stopping Ohio State's run. Um, you know, maybe getting them in some third third and longs and making it more difficult for them to hold the ball. So, just the zero turnovers alone isn't going to check that box for me. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's pretty. I, I don't have a problem with that, like, but I think it would be like 31 even. Like, I don't know that they would keep them much lower than that, even without a turnover. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it's lower, but I, I don't know. I just need to see it happen. I mean, I, I think this Ohio State offense is really good. I think Notre Dame's defense is really good. But usually when those two things match up, usually the offense wins more often in modern college football. Um, so I want to see how Notre Dame can measure itself up to the challenge and see just how – how good CJ Stroud can continue to be without those two first round draft picks that he had playing receiver form last season. Next question is from at Patrick Shields zero. What are your big play predictions for the game? Notre Dame with a pick six, Ohio state with a kick return for a touchdown. Also, what are your thoughts on the Nebraska Northwestern game in Dublin? I'll start with that. Cause that's the easier question. Um, it's amazing how many, single-digit games Nebraska has lost in a row. I think they set a NCAA record of seven double-digit or single-digit losses. And um, so they've really had trouble closing out games. I was surprised that Northwestern's offense was as good as it was mm-hmm. um, because they really struggled last year. So they've they found a little bit of offensive mojo. And certainly Nebraska's uh, mistakes did not help right uh them as far as the big play predictions boy that's more granular than i get uh with predictions it's hard enough for me to come up with a scoring prediction (laughs) i have not developed the psychic powers that i need to um i think that uh i I, my mind works differently like i i don't don't kind of get instincts about what what plays are going to look like i think about in terms of scenarios each team has to do to win. For example, I think it would be very helpful for Notre Dame to have a special team's big play, and I think they have that in them. I think they could return, have a long return, or I think they could block a punt for a touchdown, something like that, and I think that needs to be a part of the winning formula. Uh, so, like saying... Uh, you know, Lorenzo Styles is going to run a go route that's going to be, uh, I, you know, Tyler must, I think, probably is better at that than me. My mind just doesn't go in that direction. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think, I mean, one of the reasons that Ohio State is favored in the way it is, is that the big plays are easier to sort of anticipate or imagine or predict will happen because of the matchup. I, I think. I mean, it's not it's not a shock to predict that Jackson Smith and Jigbo is going to break off a long pass, re- receiving touchdown, or Tyler Tyler Buckner will throw a, a big interception, and Ohio State takes advantage of that. Those are things that seem probably more likely than than not to happen. Um, whereas for Notre Dame, I, I think the special teams big play I think is a good point. I think there's a chance that that could happen, um, but I'm not exactly sure what else you can sort of rely on or comfortably predict i mean maybe lorenzo styles gets a big play for notre dame's offense i think that's that's certainly potential maybe chris tyree gets a favorable matchup against a linebacker on a passing play and 
does does some of the things we saw Notre Dame do with its running backs in the in the receiving game against Oklahoma State. Um, so those would be some of the things I would I would throw in there as predictions. I I don't necessarily predict those things either on a regular basis, but. As for the Nebraska Northwestern game, I I enjoyed it. Um, a lot of people were tuned in. I saw today that 4.42 million were watching, according to Fox. Um, so that's uh, quite the audience. I mean, you take advantage of that viewing window when no other decent game is on. Um, obviously, there's a lots of there's a lot of Nebraska fans, less Northwestern fans, but many Northwestern journalists uh, that I'm sure were tuned in. Uh, so, uh, I thought it was entertaining. I thought it was a bit surprising the way Northwestern's offense played. Like you said, the offensive line was pretty dominant and, uh, the, the passing game was much more proficient than I, I would have anticipated in a Northwestern passing game being after some of the quarterback play we've seen out of Northwestern in, in some recent seasons. Next question is from Baba Ganoush at PLACT underscore ITFDB. If you or Eric truly thought Notre Dame was going to get blown out by an opponent, would you or have you ever reflected that in your predictions? Even if you don't think losing by the spread is a blowout, would you predict a Notre Dame loss by 14 to 17 points? Uh, You know, it's been a while since I guess I thought they had a team that was capable of losing by 14 to 17, even though they have had some of those in these big stage games. Uh, in the Brian Kelly era, I know that I did predict that during some of the Charlie Weiss games and and certainly Willingham and and Bob Davey. So, um, I mean, uh, our my score we're going to make our score prediction in a different segment. Uh, so you'll see what my score prediction is there. Uh, I don't know if I can count up to 17. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, I guess I would just jump in and say, like, we want to be right. We, I, I, we're we not making our predictions to, like, please the the readers or or listeners. That's not – I mean, we're trying to predict based on what we think will happen, not what we think will make you happy. Um, so I, I don't – Right. Know. Us being wrong is not going to make you happy, especially if you yeah. say, well, he knows a lot about football. I think I'll uh, call, call <laughs> DraftKings. And- right. Or have, log on to DraftKings, however you do it. I don't. <laughs> we won't ask you for tech support on DraftKings. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, there haven't been many games I've predicted blowout losses. Uh, the first one that came to mind immediately was the college football playoff semifinal against Alabama at the end of the 2020 season, and I went back and looked, and my prediction was a 20, a 41 to 24 Alabama win. So that's a. a do you know set. what mine was? Uh, I do not know. I just I just looked on Twitter because I usually tweet it out when I when I did the when I was doing like game chats on Twitter. So it was easy for me to locate that way. Um, I didn't uh, go back to see. I picked Alabama. I just don't know what my score was. So, yeah, I mean, if we think it's going to be a blowout, we will. I mean, Notre Dame has been too good of a team in recent years to predict that on a, on a regular basis or anything. Um, And I, I haven't covered many terrible Notre Dame teams other than the four and eight season. And even then, I don't know that you predicted them to get blown out by many of the teams that are playing against because they were just losing because of their own self. Not that they were, that much worse than everyone else they were playing. Next question is from at Charles W. Wolf asking in the spirit of pie in the sky preseason optimism, would you, but would a win on Saturday be the program's biggest win since 1993 Florida state next closest for me would be 2012 Oklahoma or 2020 Clemson. What are your thoughts, Eric? I think this is a really interesting question because you know, what comes after mm-hmm. the games is really important. For example, a lot of people felt like the Bush-Push game that Notre Dame actually lost in 2005 was one of the best games they ever saw at the time and a very significant step for the Notre Dame program. But it didn't have the staying power, and I don't think people remember that game as a milestone in Notre Dame's progression to becoming relevant again. I think they remember it as the controversial ending. Um, So that's why the Oklahoma game was so big because Notre Dame had fallen off the stage so many times in those kind of games. Not only did they win that game, they finished the job and got to the national championship game. Um, the Clemson game against number one was huge just because 
the talk of how many games Brian Kelly had lost against top 10 teams. And it was a lot. Um, just was so loud. It, it gave Brian Kelly a little bit of a clap back. It gave the program a little bit of a clap back and it got them into the playoff right. for the second time in three years. So for me, what the Ohio state game does is if, if Notre Dame beats Ohio state, but loses to BYU and Clemson, is it that marquee of a victory? Whereas if they lose a game to Ohio state, then win 11 in a row, that may be the better scenario in terms of, Marcus Freeman, the program, and everything else. Uh, but certainly it would, if they won the game and built upon it, that, that would be either at the top of the list or near the top of the list. I mean, Marcus is at a different place than Brian Kelly was. Brian Kelly followed, uh, you know, three coaches that were pretty mediocre. And Brian Kelly, you know, Marcus Freeman is following somebody that, push Notre Dame back up to where people are taking it seriously. And he's in charge of taking the next step into starting to win those playoff games, not just to reach them. So it's a different context. And I've given you a great word salad to go into Tyler's. <laughs> yeah. Answer. I mean, I, I share a lot of the same sentiment. I, I think biggest also entails what it leads to. That's why, I mean, it's that, that's sort of the funny thing with the 93 Florida State game. It, for all the hoopla and how great of a victory it was, <laughs> it all came crumbling down right after that. It was so, like, it, what did it really lead to? Um, it was just a, it was a certainly a memorable game, a memorable moment, and an impressive victory, no doubt. Um, if Notre Dame wins at Ohio State and, like you mentioned, loses a couple times, then it's not that big. I, I think the way I was would frame it as that Ohio state would probably be the best team Notre Dame has beaten since maybe that 93 FSU team. Now I'm, I wouldn't, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of talking out of my league there in terms of teams they would have beat between then. Like I I've only covered Notre Dame since 2012. So I'm not as uniquely familiar with all those teams that they beat in between them, but I'm pretty confident that there, there probably isn't many teams or if any that are, would be more talented. And, and than you're so saying, you're saying 2022 Ohio State is better than 2020 Clemson without without uh, Trevor Lawrence, yeah. Trevor Lawrence and the other players that were hurt. Um, that 2012 Oklahoma team was good, but I don't know that it was it was probably more talented than this Ohio State team. Um, so I mean, I could certainly listen to arguments on that, uh, but but so but in terms of the biggest, I would probably say that 2012 Oklahoma victory would be something that you could compare it to. Um, because like you mentioned, it, it, it made Notre Dame a serious program, a serious national title contender again. Um, and it sort of lifted the expectations of the reality of Notre Dame's program under Brian Kelly. So, um, I think it would be hard to surpass that. Although if they beat Ohio state and they run out run through this season undefeated and win a national championship, then, then it's a different story. Next question is from. Douglas McAnally at D underscore McAnally. What stadium will you be in when Notre Dame plays their last postseason game this season? And what will the final score be? That was a sneaky good question. <laughs> I had to do an, imp an impossible one to answer, if you ask me. <laughs> What's that? It's an impossible one to answer, if you ask me. But <laughs> Well, th that's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> um, I will say... It'll be Jerry World, so it'll be the Cotton Bowl against Oregon. Yeah, and obviously, well, what, what's the score? He didn't even ask the, the, the opponent. He asked what the score would be. Oh, what the <laughs> score would be. And the score will be Notre Dame will, will win a New Year's Six-Day Bowl. They will win 34-17. to 17. Yeah, this, this is obviously sort of indicates and is extremely connected to what we think the season – record will be I, i'm leaning towards a nine and three season prediction so i would not have them making it to the cotton bowl um so, but however i i, I want to know that i think this is like the least valuable answer that i can give on this podcast because predicting all of those things uh seems hard but and, and i'm not great with the like acc bowl hierarchy which one's the best ones and I, all the names change too so it's hard even to figure out who's which so but i went with the rely quest bowl in raymond james stadium that is the formerly known as the outback bowl i don't even know if that's realistic for if notre dame's nine and three i, I i'm not very good at that and i just picked a random score notre dame would win 
31 to 24 against the nameless opponent that I chose not to predict. Uh, next question is from Jeremy Bonk at jbonk1212. What are the chances CJ Carr reclassifies to the 2023 class? I have heard reports that ND is pushing for that. I don't know that they're pushing hard at this point. I think they're waiting and seeing. I, I think they want to let this cycle. They don't have to make that determination right now. They can let the cycle play out, and they're making a push for Kenny Minchie, uh Pitt, uh, commit there's some interest in Avery Johnson a Kansas State commit that they were kind of slow playing early in the process and I think they'd like to look at players that make big leaps in their senior seasons like Brandon Wimbush did uh, back when they plucked him out of Penn State's class you know as a junior they just didn't think he measured up for their and they really didn't recruit him very hard. He ended up at Penn State, and then he went crazy at the beginning of his senior year, and they tried to get reinvolved, were successful, and recruited him. So those are the kind of scenarios they're looking at. If if those fall through, then they have to make a decision, and C.J. Carr has to make a decision about what's best for him and what's best for Notre Dame. So then we would maybe see a more serious push, and then Notre Dame would try. I mean, they'd be – Playing from behind with the 2024s, a lot of the elite kids have already narrowed their fields or made commitments in that class. Yeah, I don't think the the variables in this equation have really changed much at all, um, other than like sort of time ticking away and time passing. Um, I've always felt and have indicated as such that it would co will come down to one, CJ Carr's willingness and want to reclassify. And two, Notre Dame's ability to sign or get a commitment from a 2023 quarterback. Um, and obviously Notre Dame is in a position where it still does not have a 2023 quarterback. And uh, they're still leaving that door open to CJ Cards. And I, I think it probably, I mean, it, it depends how you look at it. It probably has more to do with what Carr wants to do right now than, uh, than where Notre Dame's at with 23 quarterbacks because it doesn't seem like there's anyone that's that close to committing to Notre Dame. If I had to put a percentage on it, I said there's a like I would say like a 40% chance that he he reclassifies. But yeah, I mean it's up to him. I mean Notre Dame can't force him to do that and you risk sort of alienating him if you push him too hard. Um and well it's a hey, I want to do what I want to do. Um leave me alone. Uh so I mean I I I feel like I've mentioned this before if if Carr does it I think it would be late in the cycle after Notre Dame strikes out at quarterback in the 23 class if they can get a commitment from Kenny Mitchie, which doesn't necessarily seem very likely if they can get a commitment from Avery Johnson which I think is probably a better chance than Kenny Mitchie at this point although I wouldn't put it at a, a great chance um then the reclassification discussion doesn't necessarily matter so um I think that would be the best case scenario for Notre Dame to get it. And that, that hasn't changed either. I always felt that they need to get a 23 quarterback and not move CJ Carr because I always thought that if CJ Carr was going to reclassify and that was your plan, you needed to do that right away because of what you mentioned. You're, you're losing time with 24 quarterbacks. Um, if, if you're, if he, if he doesn't switch to classes earlier. All right. Next question is from Patrick at M park. I think it's M parkway. Um, since E. Hansen ND is an Ohio State alum, are we worried about him being a mole feeding the enemy info? In all serious, both of y'all keep up the great work and on the beat. So do you do you want to do you want to confess anything, Eric? Uh, I'll tell you what, if they're looking for information from me, they're um probably just going to find out uh the good restaurants or whatever in uh, Columbus, they're not going to, or, or South Bend since I've lived here a lot longer than I lived in Columbus. So, uh, uh, the, you know, they would be, they would be sadly disappointed to get information. And, and, and in all honesty, Notre Dame has done a good job of giving us a lot of access and yet not showing us a whole lot. Right. Um, I think there's going to be, there's going to be some surprises in terms of, what the defense looks like, for instance, on opening night. Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> I don't, I don't think you would be the best source for X's and O's secrets. <laughs> so, um, but it's curious that that people are coming at you. I mean, why, why have we considered 
long enough that Marcus Freeman is actually an Ohio State mole planted within the program to destroy Notre Dame football. And James Laurinaitis. And James Laurinaitis. I mean, those guys, I mean, they've been they've been at Ohio State more recently. They know some of those people over there a little bit better than Eric Hansen does. So I, I don't yeah, know. I mean, I mean they're, if we're, we're, we're going to run with conspiracies. Why is Eric got to be the topic of them? That's all, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, my diploma was chiseled on stone. So <laughs> it's been a long time since I've been there. <laughs> All right, next question from McDermott Rules on the entire lounge. Are players being tested for COVID anymore? I have not heard of anyone being out of practice for COVID. Notre Dame came out with its uh, university-wide COVID um, protocols recently, and it does seem like, well, it doesn't seem like it actually is. They're still very aggressive with the vaccine requirements um, and there are some exceptions. The testing is has been dialed back. If you have symptoms, yes, they want you to get tested, but they're not doing the surveillance testing of right. just randomly picking people that are asymptomatic and trying to see. Yeah, I haven't heard really any colleges. Now, I haven't been following it everywhere, but I really haven't heard of outbreaks on college teams. I mean, maybe some isolated incidents, but um, it, it it's just something that isn't happening with regularity right now. Maybe if there's... Yeah, well, it's easier to hide. To, if, if if this were happening during practice, it's easier to hide then. Like when you get into games, you're like, right. why, why isn't so-and-so playing? Like that's when we usually see, like, for instance, there's been some, not a, not a huge amount, but like some in baseball where guys are out with COVID for a little bit. Um, but right. that's because they play so long during the season you can't you can't really hide that hide those baseball players right but there are, there haven't been very many of those but yeah i do remember some of those happening with my team that i follow the st louis cardinals uh, but but it's it's very rare and the thing is the return time is much quicker and there's not the um close contact thing where those people have to be removed from if if they don't test positive themselves. So the dynamic really has changed. All right. Last question we have is from Nathan Reynolds at Enforcers2117. Have you heard anything about the Notre Dame players having their last names on the back of their jerseys like they do during the bowl games? I think it would help the players with slash get NIL opportunities. You know, I, I think it might have been him that asked me the question in chat and I didn't have the answer and I still don't have the answer. <laughs> I, I like the idea. We have not heard that, that that was going to happen, but I think, um, I think it's kind of a cool idea. It's something again, with the limited questions we have with Marcus, sometimes it's hard to right. sneak in those kind of questions, but, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to ask around definitely beyond Marcus and see if there's, um, something to that i don't think it's going to happen immediately but i think it's a good idea yeah i would think if they were going to do it they would make a big deal out of it and that be like a surprise i don't know what the point of it being a surprise would be because if you want to yeah. like if you want to like make a big th deal out of it it's not like i understand some things like like a green jersey surprise or something like that maybe but like if you're trying they to brand tipped us off on that yeah if you're, but if you're trying to brand like players you don't like hold that a secret until the day you do it uh so i don't know that it would make that big of a difference um I, the only thing i would think was maybe an increase in jersey sales but i don't even know like the unique thing about college football jerseys is that you can buy a number without a name on the back and it could be good for 10 years because it could just be the next player that wears that number um obviously uh you have a good idea of who that that jersey is representing based on when it was purchased but um so i don't know if it would make jerseys more like if, if you could buy a number seven fosky jersey would it be would you be more likely to to buy it if it's has fosky's name on the back or if it doesn't i don't i don't really know um i haven't been i haven't been in the jersey purchasing game in, in quite some time so i'm not sure where where fans heads would be at with that but um i know uh it's a good thought i, I mean i there's certainly it wouldn't harm anything I, I don't have a big preference either way um and uh then uh we we'll see i i would i would anticipate it's not going to happen but um stranger things have happened all right that's it for today's episode of the inside indie sports podcast if you don't already you can subscribe to us on apple Podcasts, spotify google podcast and other popular podcast platforms if you like what you hear give us a star rating leave a review and share our podcast feed with your next uber driver 
Uh, we are currently at 40 ratings on Apple Podcast, and we need to get that up to 50 by kickoff Saturday. So please, if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, give us some stars and help us out. If you'd like to see our stern faces discussing Notre Dame football, we are bringing you some new content on YouTube this season. Our Place Your Bet segment, which uh, longtime listeners to the podcast should be familiar with, we will now be shared on YouTube late in the week. And every Monday, we plan to do a live YouTube stream recapping the previous game. So if you're not already subscribed to our YouTube page, search for Inside ND Sports, and you should be able to find us. We'll be back on the podcast next week to preview Notre Dame's home opener against Marshall. Until then, stick with InsideIndieSports.com for all your pregame and postgame coverage needs.